Well, it's been what? A week? A week since the Super League fell apart? Oh, a little no, a little less than a week. Feels like about three to four, but ladies and gentlemen, we're back in the overlap after what was, I think, the wildest 72 to 96 hours in football history, at least in the modern era. Um, I still am trying to wrap my head around it in, in a lot of ways, but we're, I think, saved from football. I mean, that's that's my biased opinion, but I think we're saved. Rian and I have no <laughs> similar thoughts on this, but it's been, it's been a hell of a week. What's up, Rian? How you doing? I'm doing well. I think saved is a very subjective word in this. <laughs> it probably <laughs> is. Talking about like European soccer and who is uh, governing and controlling it. I think saved, I think I, maybe I said it last week, the devil you know versus the devil you don't <laughs> was basically all like Super yeah. League versus UEFA is. But, it's um, like that um that SpongeBob meme where like SpongeBob and Patrick are like around the burning city, like burning Kitty Bob Bottom, and SpongeBob's like, "We did it, Patrick! We saved the city!" And it's like <laughs> that's that's basically the that's UEFA where we're at. Yeah, that's yeah. UEFA. Basically, the slash. Well, not even UEFA. That's like the fans who are outside of um the English stadiums <laughs> this past yeah. week. That's them. That, wow, way to bring down Chelsea fans, man. That's I'm sure they appreciate Chelsea, that. Arsenal, United, all all three of them. Um, but, but now, dude, uh, at least how, how was your weekend? I, I see that you're, uh, back home in Philadelphia right now. Yeah. I, uh, this is my first time home since the holidays. So honestly, a couple days off this week when nowhere to go, <laughs> I was like, what better time to go home and, uh, be with the family for a little bit. So I back, I got stuck in the guest room. I don't know how I feel about it. I got like placed in the guest room with nothing really around me. Um, has your has your room been repurposed yet? No, not yet. I'm waiting for it will be. It will be. I know my dad wants to redo our bathroom. So it's gonna be it's It'll be start, part of it. Yeah, it's the start of like a massive project. I know, deep down I know, but that's a that's a like two year on problem. <laughs> but anyway, neither here nor there. Rian, we have a lot to talk about today, starting really with the fallout of the Super League and kind of the latest updates with it. I mean we can pretty much say that the former version of the Super League is dead. I feel like that's a fair assumption. But it's not like the Super League itself is done and dusted. That's the weird part. So you want to you want to take the listeners through what exactly is going on now with the Super League cuz you have about 9 of the 12 initially committed clubs that are out. Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus still remain, in theory. But it's interesting what, how, I guess, the other English clubs and almost the political ramifications of their joining the, the Super League uh, came of that. So tell us. Bestow your wisdom. <laughs> yeah, Elias is bang on there. Like, that's nine. Nine of the teams have, in one way or another, either uh, through sources or directly as as we saw with Manchester City saying last week that they were all of these or nine teams are saying that they are intending to leave this uh version of the Super League which like you said has left us with Barcelona Juventus and Real Madrid three of the most heavily indebted teams in Europe 
I mean, I think Manchester United would throw their hat into that ring as well, but their debt lies with their owners themselves, so a bit different. But, um, yeah, we we have the English teams that led the charge of, of this, or led the exodus, I should say, um, of the Super League, where... You know, we saw where Chelsea and Man City were the first, and then and then as the rest of last Tuesday, I think, or last honestly, I don't remember the days anymore. It all it was a blur that those three or four days, but um, those teams leading the charge to leave, and and you can understand from their point of view, at least, at least from the Chelsea and Manchester City point of view, um, but you can make it broader for the rest of those six teams or. Uh, four other teams in England who at the heart of this this league needed them more than they needed the Super League itself because you know as we outlined last week English teams are kind of the reason and the, the Premier League as a whole um the Premier League product as a whole and the money generating machine that that has been over the last especially the last 10 years Right, that has created this gap between the top clubs in England and the top clubs around most of Europe when it comes to you know, TV revenue. Right, <laughs> like they, there's still teams that can't touch, you know, Real Madrid and and Barcelona in terms of commercial revenue. We're talking about selling shirts and touring the world for preseason and all that stuff. You know, there there are teams, a lot of teams that still cannot touch those those revenues, especially in England as well. United but, probably being the closest. United, exactly. Yeah, United being yeah one of the one of the first teams to go around the world for their preseason tours. Right. Um, these teams realize that they, that they don't need the hassle that comes with that came with that decision last week. Right, and and that's why you're seeing Real Madrid and Barcelona coming out and saying that you know this isn't dead dead. Like we're remaining in this. We saw Juan Laporta come out and say you know that. He said that this is necessary for for Barcelona, and then I think in a um, in a broader sense for for your these teams, Europe, whatever, right? Um, it, it's it's it makes sense. It makes sense that that Real Madrid, Barcelona, and, and uh, Juventus are still are still trying to make this work, right? And very possible we do see some version of this, not the one that was proposed last week, but. We do see some version of this happen because, as we mentioned last week, there are no good guys in this story, right? There are, there's not one, not a single one, right? Really. <laughs> so, um, UEFA has their terrible, terrible management of, you know, the clubs um, in terms of like who gets the money and and how the money is distributed um, to clubs in UEFA. And also the other side of this, you know, the the way that they treat the players, you know, the the new Champions League format that was being proposed and, and has been, I think as of now, confirmed um to start in twenty twenty four, a huge talking point in all of this as well, because a lot of these teams were really not with were not a fan of it, I should say, even though it actually was helping them even more than than the previous than what our current Champions League format is, and I should say that 
it, monetarily, 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 right? I, I would I would argue that it's not necessarily helping the team's physicality, right? Because you're playing right. so many more games in an already packed season. Yeah, no, yeah, and 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 that's one of the big arguments with it. We we have seen a few English coaches um, or English team coaches come out in the last few days, including Thomas Tuchel, I think Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola have all come out against this new Champions League format. They're also against the Super League, we know that, but at the same time against this new Champions League format format because it increases the amount of group stage games from six to ten. And it's <laughs> where where is the time in the schedule for this? And it just kind of underlines this whole thing where yeah, UEFA is not the good guys here either. Like they're they're trying to make these players play even more to just you know to get more money. That's all this all this is at the end, more money, and um, always a money grab. On top of yeah, on top of those ten games, they still want the international breaks, which is a huge huge um, I think talking point for a lot of the teams that originally signed up for the Super League is. Just the amount of gains and and the lack of control that they have over the amount of international breaks and just extra mileage that is put on their players throughout the season, it, it's what made I think that last week why we said it was so seismic because so much hinges on what the next I think few months in terms of fallout from the Super League in terms of possible sanctions in terms of format changes in just about every facet of UEFA and in terms of this the regular as we call it here in the US like the regular season for a lot of these leagues um and tournaments right so it, it's obviously hard to tell what what's hard to say what exactly is going to happen cuz because there are so many fractured relationships as we said last week but it just feels like this is going to be a, a huge inflection point in terms of modern European soccer. Yeah, the interesting thing with this, and I'll leave with this final thought before we move on to kind of where we think the consequences will lie for the, the 12 teams. This isn't, I, I don't think the Champions League format that's been approved or the Super League format that was you know largely disapproved. I don't think either of those are the final format for any of those tournaments i i just think that there are too many unhappy parties in all of these competitions or both both competitions that don't actually satisfy the needs of anyone but uefa which is how do we bring in continuous stream of additional revenue while skirting the line of player health and you know basically the factoring in what players want and i think they've They've slightly gone past that now, kind of as a result of the Super League. And it, it it's all so ironic because at the end of the day, UEFA still now has the power to basically banish some of these teams if they'd like <laughs> because of what they did with the Super League. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Actually, I'm saying that's pretty wrong, but I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But the fact that that, it, it makes no sense. It makes no log logical sense. Like, it's the complete opposite of a meritocracy, which is what the football should have been in the first place. But 
again, that's the inherent problem with UEFA's structure. Yeah, and it and look, I mean, UEFA and Real Madrid's relationship. If you even think about that, <laughs> you know, talking about basically up until the end of last week, there were people within UEFA who wanted Real Madrid banned from this from the rest of the Champions League this season, which. <laughs> Which who knows what that would have meant, you know, in terms of like the semifinals itself. But they wanted them banned from the competition, so it's like relationships like that between UEFA's president, um, I think Seferin, and Florentino Perez, Real Madrid's president. How does that get mended? What happens like going forward in terms of how can we? We already know how paranoid Real Madrid are when it comes to UEFA in general, right? So much that that we can already expect if there's any dodgy decision or any controversial decision during these next two legs versus Chelsea, we can expect that a conspiracy will be proposed to the entire Real Madrid fan base and <laughs> and Florentino Perez, everything, right? So, I mean, I'm really interested to see how this works politically going forward because as Ellie said last week, we're Florentino Perez, a politician, a a a a, a politician is as political as it gets when it comes to him. And Juan Laporta, and same way, same way the, um, at the Barca president. Um, so we we can't say we know what's going to happen here, and it's hard to even speculate too because I think there is just so much in the air in terms of what the Champions League will look like in two years from now. Uh, or three years from now, I should say. And it feels like we're getting some alternative to the recent proposed format, the recent agreed format for the new Champions League. Um, and it feels like more than ever, like there, there's there's a possibility that we have an alternative competition to the Champions League in general, right? Or in the least... I just I think we just can't be surprised if if this means more consolidation in terms of the bigger clubs or um or the big leagues especially. Yeah. Yeah, I think honestly in a perfect world in about 8 years we're in a situation where UEFA are I don't want to say not relevant but they're not as big of a player and my perfect world is that you have team or player run organizations um or one overarching organization that fields Champions League or whatever equivalent competition, because right now the consolidation of political capital is way, way, way too great <laughs> to the point <laughs> where it's just taking out the majority of the conversation. But Riyadh, we have better things to talk about um, as it relates to, to football specifically. There was an actual football game played um, this past, was it Sunday? It was Sunday, it was yesterday. Um, Manchester City, of course, winning their fourth League Cup in a row. Uh, Pep Guardiola, uh, per Gary Neville's comments today, receiving the uh, best manager of all time credit. Um, yeah. Someone that played under Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I'm very shocked that it took him this long after a League Cup title <laughs> to, uh, to make that realization. But wow, <laughs> sure. the zag from Elias. I'm surprised I mean, it, it took this long. <laughs> I, I am. I mean, it's like I, I wouldn't. If you're talking, if if we're talking a day after the Champions League final, and he goes, "All right, you know what? I've seen what what Pep can do. I get it." But you're talking about 
a league cup title he's won three times before this that he like that's not as impressive as winning his first champions league title with manchester city which is entirely possible this year so why don't rian why don't we start with the spurs point of view because we've talked a lot about how manchester city you know had to almost get through this mental block in the quarterfinals against dortmund to make it to the semifinals i feel as though even in this game somewhat they were up against a mental block of some sort like they were such the superior team like that is very clear i would say on the counterattack, i feel as though there were a lot of times where they could have very well been exposed by the the kane son combination but at the same time the difference i think in this game versus some of their previous games where they've either dropped points lost you know uh or been knocked out of competitions etc is that they were clinical and whether it's from a corner whether it was from other opportunities, I feel as though they were more clinical in this game, especially against a team that probably is more of a thorn in their side than it should be. So um, I have to I have to give props to City, but let's start with Spurs. I have to ask the question first off. Are we... Was that one of the last, if not the last, the final performance that we saw from Harry Kane and Hungman's son this, in, in a Spurs jersey? I think if it were up to Harry Kane, it probably <laughs> would be. Honestly, if it were up to him, um, I think I think Hummingson, gosh, the tears at the end were tough to watch. I, I think there's a, I don't know why, but there's a funny pic. There's a picture from after that game where Gareth Bale is like patting him on the back as as Son is crying. I don't know why it cracks me up so much. Because he is genuinely doing something nice and patting him on the back, of course. Of course. But it's just something about the way that the picture was taken and his hand placement in it that made me just feel like, you know, he's like, ah, oh, tough love. Tough one, lad. I was like, yeah, sorry, dude. That's, I know it sucks. But, uh, I mean, I don't care that much. But, like, yeah, tough. Dude. It's tough, dude. Well, um, you're, you're talking about a guy who, if – he had taken in Hungman's son if he had taken gareth pale <laughs> bale's career path and leaving spurs seven years ago um he probably could have won multiple trophies by now <laughs> i mean like, <laughs> let's be honest so it's it's levels yeah yeah i mean it's it's just funny it's like it, it just made me scream like yeah bell Bell cared about winning winning this game probably, but he didn't really care about winning this cup. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's son, preparing son. for the Euros. There's like, there's way more. Like, there's trying to tell Sun, hey, this one doesn't really matter, honestly. <laughs> like, like, you you will probably have a chance to win much better things like this sooner or later. <laughs> um, but uh, from from the Harry Kane side, though, yeah, who, who knows? Uh, obviously, if it was up to him, I think it would be one of his last games for Spurs. To be fair, like, he was terrible during the game too, <laughs> but but it was once again um, a cup final that Spurs got to where Harry Kane had completely fucked up his ankle in the last two weeks and rushed back for the game and looked so much worse. And the team itself looked so much worse because he was in the side injured. He was purely playing injured just as he did in the Champions League semifinal or sorry Champions League final against Liverpool a couple of years ago right every chance that Spurs had to counterattack and it got to Kane in those same positions that he was getting into the first half of the season and, and would turn and 
and kind of run at the defense and, and find a pass for Son or uh, Bergwijn or, or whoever else was playing in the attack with him. His turns were so slow. He really, you could tell that his ankle was just not in remotely a decent place, right? To be playing, to be playing in a game of this magnitude, honestly. So I, I really think that I don't. I'm not saying he has to shoulder the blame for this game because at the end of the day, you know, he he said he probably said that he felt fine. Ryan Mason in just his second game in charge in his career. Um, and someone who played with Harry Kane not five years ago we should throw that in too, which you know we can talk about maybe about the subs in this game too, where Sissoko comes on and and instead of um, Indombele who didn't even start and um, you know some whispers of you know it seemed like Ryan Mason was just playing a bunch of the dudes that he played with like at Spurs yeah, and just like cla- classic favoritism yeah <laughs> it's like just gonna give all my mates a, a chance in the Cup final basically. Um, now, I I think this summer for for Harry Kane will be very difficult to leave Tottenham, honestly, because um, who knows what the market is there. In ter- you know, when you think about how much money do these teams have, one, when you think about the fact that there's three years left on Harry Kane's contract, two, and three would be Daniel Levy is one of the stingiest negotiators in all of Europe. So all three of those things make me feel like I think there's less than a 50% chance that Harry Kane is sold this summer. Um, unless a team that is going very hard for Erling Holland, um, you know, pivots to Harry Kane. Uh, I, I don't know who that would be when you think of, when you're thinking just about those are two completely different age profiles. So if you're going for Erling yeah. Holland, you're probably not looking for a 28 year old who. <laughs> You can bank on being completely screwed for one to two months of the season because of his ankles. <laughs> so I I think the Harry Kane thing is, is a very hard one to to uh to predict. I kind of agree with you, but I would I would put it at greater than fifty percent because Spurs, let's be honest, are also they're cash strapped. Like let, let's let's call That's it what true. it is. And if you want to wait another three years, you're not going to sell a 31-year-old Harry Kane who will be equally as unhappy for the same price that you would get right now when you are very much in need of, of cash flow. So that is, I think, part of – it's going to have to be part of Daniel Levy's thought process when you know he sits down with Harry Kane for negotiations and, and what Harry Kane wants this summer. I think Hungman's son is probably the more likely of the two to leave this summer for sure. But to say that Harry Kane has a small chance only of leaving, I think is probably not doing enough service to the fact that, A, like I said, Spurs need cash, and B, the, I hate that I'm using these terms, but right, the net present value of Harry Kane, <laughs> of, his, of his, his, you know, his, his actual transfer price would be um, a lot lower in, in three years. So just, I hate, I hate, don't even, don't go there. Don't say it. I hate that I said it. But wow. just, it's, just, it's a little, just a little finance oh my God. out here. Yeah, I, it's not even not even not. me. <laughs> God. Wow. wow. <laughs> Are well, you surprised? There, there is an opening in in Manchester United for the vice chairman. Like, they, <laughs> they did hire someone in banking last time. So yeah, this is I, I don't have the JPMC connects though. I, I can't do that. I can't pull that way. But I can talk about whether or not Mourinho should have been sacked right before this game. 
and if that would have made any difference. I I don't think so. <laughs> I probably would have seen the same result. Maybe the subs would have made a slightly bigger slash better difference. But beyond that, same players, same mentality. Nothing's going to change in two weeks. Yeah, I, I think um, I think Mourinho being there, the result is probably pretty similar. Probably like, I mean, in all honesty, like City had multiple chances in the first half to take the lead, and and a couple of them were just really good blocks, and and a few really good saves from Hugo Lloris, obviously too. But I think the end result would have been the same. I, I think the overall performance, I think, would have been better. Honestly, I no Indombele and and uh, God bless Harry Winks. Really, um, is that he he's gotten to start in a cup final there. I mean, he's got to cherish that one. I hope he really cherishes it because he was terrible during this game, and and so much of Spurs were terrible. You know, you think in a game like this that there would almost be this kind of release of pressure and tension. I know they haven't won in so long, and that always adds to the pressure, right? But, you know, not having that dark cloud that Mourinho can be, especially when the team is at a low point, right? And you would hope not being instructed to play very cautiously, too, would have would have let them kind of open up um, mentally and, and even creatively. But it didn't happen. They were they were so passive throughout the entire game. And yeah, I think there were a couple times where they could have threatened to really counter. And, and I think a lot of that was hindered by Kane's injury. And the fact that Hummin Son himself had a terrible game, I thought. So much of their attack was just not good, right? But on top of that, they were just... Better in the second half, but yes. Better in the second half, definitely, definitely. I Definitely better in the second half. But I feel like all that came with the second half was maybe a bit of effort, which is which is just baffling to say that. To say that in the first 45 minutes, it didn't seem like the effort was there. So, I don't know. It, it, feels, it feels like very much the end of an era for Tottenham. Um, it, it would be... I'd be very su- surprised, or I'd be... Interested to see if anyone pays close to the Gareth Bale amount for Harry Kane this summer, which which might be the most realistic price for him, somewhere around that eighty million pound range. Um, but we know that the market is just much different than it was in twenty thirteen, right? That's eighty million, eighty ninety million pounds. It's not going to get you for really good players, right? We saw. That summer, Tottenham went out and made, I think, seven new signings after after Gareth Bale. Yeah, like a uh, crazy amount. Right. That money's not going to... It's not going to run as long as it did at that time, right? So it's really all about, do you trust Daniel Levy and the current <clears throat> Tottenham board and, and transfer um, I'm I'm going to stop you right there team. now. Are you done? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just gonna before before you go Fair down enough. that rabbit hole. Fair enough. Yeah, and and most people's answers, as they should be, would be no. Would be absolutely not. Um, 
mean, trust is earned, Rian. Trust is yeah, earned. Yeah, no, that's true. That is that is that is totally true. So I don't know, Alex. Before we move on to to um, I guess you know giving Pep his flowers and and looking ahead to the first leg against PSG for Manchester City. Um, my random question to you is: Do you, do you see any way that Sergio Reguilón is still on Tottenham next season? Mm. Do you see do you see him just going back to Real Madrid? That's a really, really good question. I actually had that same question for myself during this game because there was a moment in the second half where, I don't know if you remember this, but Hoiberg, I think in like the 70th minute, was at the edge of the box and Regulon was overlapping him on the left-hand side and Regulon kind of stopped his run and then Hoiberg played the ball, which is just the perfect encapsulation of the Spurs <laughs> team anyway. But when that happened, Hoiberg just kind of lost his mind at Regulon. Like just lo- he was literally like, why did you keep running? Which is fair. I think it's it's a valid valid point. But Regulon's response is really what killed me. He just turned around and jogged back. Like didn't even look back. <laughs> and then Hoiberg was standing there with his arms open, like that cat meme that's sitting on like a bench and is like, WTF? <laughs> he was like that. And I think that's a perfect encapsulation of where I think Sergio Regulon is in this team. Not that he's not a starter. I think he's very clearly the the starting left back for Spurs. The question then becomes. Are things better at Madrid for him? I think the answer is no. I think that Benjamin Mendy is very, very firmly their first choice. Furlan. Furlan. Oh, my God. Excuse me. Furlan <laughs> Mendy. I confused them. Wow. Furlan Mendy is is Real Madrid's first choice um, left back by miles. I think Marcelo, you'll see him play maybe a third of the games um, for, for Real Madrid next season, probably less. So, Regulon's not getting in that team. At the same time, I don't think that Regulon wants to be at a team like Spurs right now. I think that his quality and his knowledge and his his abilities are slightly above that caliber. No offense to Spurs, just in terms of where he's coming from. So I don't see him staying at Spurs, but I also don't necessarily see him succeeding at Madrid right now just because of the competition. That's fair, yeah. Oh, we'll see. I'm sure that you know, an ideal world, he wants to be playing on a Champions League team next season, which exactly. Is more and more unlikely that that will be Tottenham. So I, I think he should go to like Sevilla, but again, I, oh, I don't know. That'd be wonderful. You, yeah. you mean you 2021 league? Let's talk about Manchester City. No, no, we're not going there because whew, we have a lot to talk about in Spain, but let's give credit where credit is due, right? To Pep and to Manchester City and of course to, you know, Le- Basically, the port saving Pep's face uh, at the yeah. end of this game, essentially. Um, I don't even want to necessarily focus too much on Manchester City because I didn't think they were scintillating in this game. I thought they were very average, which goes back to what I was saying about them kind of overcoming a mental block. Yeah. I think I that... Average for their standards. Yes, yes. Say, average right? for their yeah. standards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think what more importantly is how this game affects their mentality going into the first leg against PSG, which, by the way, I have absolutely no idea who's going <laughs> to the final. I have, no, I literally have no idea. It, Mbappe apparently will be healthy to play on Tuesday. <clears throat> so, or are they playing on Wednesday? They're playing on Wednesday. Um, yeah. So he will be healthy. Regardless, I, have, I just don't know. I don't know what version of Manchester City are going to, to show up because I can sit here and tell you, that the version of Manchester City, if they show up, you know, the same one that played against Spurs this weekend, if they show up against PSG, they will get outplayed. I, I can tell you right now that they cannot deal, maybe Kyle Walker can deal with the pace of Mbappe, but he's going to be red-carded, 
I can guarantee you that he will be red carded over one of these two games. Um, it's just, I, I think that Manchester city need to focus on two, ma- two major aspects during, during this tie, a extremely fast ball recovery when they lose the ball, because having watched Di Maria and Neymar and Mbappe against, um, gosh, who did they play in the quarterfinals? I'm already forgetting. Bayern. Bayern. Bayern, yeah. Yes. So against Bayern in the quarterfinals was scary. Their ability to fa- like just move the ball so quickly on the flanks was literally makes me shake in my boots. <laughs> like it's it was so, so terrifying to watch. So if you're Manchester City, you are playing <laughs> I don't know if Pep will do this, but I think he should outplay just the numbers against any of their wingers, right? Put Zinchenko and put Rodri up against Di Maria. Close him down. Like, just limit the amount of space that he can turn and play the ball. I, I don't care how you do it, but you need to, to basically outnumber on the wing. So quick ball recovery is number one. Number two is, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but start Aguero. You, you, <laughs> might, you might hate it, but, but honestly, start Aguero. Because if you're looking for just clinical finishing, Aguero is probably your still your best bet versus Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling, who has like six goals and assists this year, I think. Like something ridiculous. Yeah. So those are my two asks. Or two if, if that happens, then I think that City are in good shape. If not, PSG will run ragged. Yeah. I mean, we know the city will be the overwhelming, I think, uh betters favorites going into this going to this tie. And I I, I think that PSG are the team that would have, I think, scared Pep Guardiola the most of of all the remaining teams um, when that when that quarterfinal was drawn, right? because that's team more than anyone else. Um, and we saw Dortmund create some of these same problems for Manchester City on the counter. It, it City have been fantastic this season um, in dealing with counter attacks. You know, much better than they have, I think than they were last season especially and and um maybe arguably arguably even better at dealing with counterattacks than they than they were um in their title or Premier League title winning seasons a, a couple years ago. But yeah, I, I think I think PSG could be their kryptonite because of the rapid pace that they can move the ball forwards. And and like Ellis was saying, like ball recoveries and the counter press will be so important to them. It's always hard with Neymar, of course, because it, it doesn't matter how much you press him. Sometimes like the the man's a, a magician in tight spaces, right? But the really interesting, I think, um, wrinkle in this game and what kind of made PSG's triumphs, triumphs against Bayern and, and Barcelona more impressive is that they did a lot of that without Marco Verratti, who I, I really think is, I, I feel like I've ranted on this before, but but um, if, if he played in any other league other than France, if he played in any one of the, you know, your Italy's, um, England, Spain, whatever, um, he could have been seen as what I think he is, which is one of the three best defensive mids, at worst, one of the three best defensive mids in Europe over the last five to six years. 
And I think that the amount to the amount that they can stifle him time on the ball to be able to progress it forward to Neymar, Mbappe, and um, Di Maria. As much as they can limit that from a city point of view, then they should have full control of this game and it'll be more about them finishing their chances. Yeah, I, I honestly entirely agree with that. Like, especially what you're saying about Marco Verratti. I think he has been wildly underrated, but mainly it's one of those situations where people just don't get to watch him enough. And right. there's a reason why Barcelona, Real Madrid, the big clubs in Europe wanted him about five years ago. That's not a fluke. So I, I completely agree with that. And I think this is probably Pep's biggest test as a Manchester City coach. I, I mean... You've made it to the semifinals. You've gotten past the quarterfinal slump. You are playing arguably a top five team in the world, especially on the counterattack. Let's see what you got. I, I mean, I'm simplifying the problem massively, but it it still remains that I think this is probably arguably his biggest test. Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't understand how excited I am for these two legs. I just think these are... I, I think what makes the Champions League so entertaining so enthralling is the clash of styles and i think that this is such a clash of styles and look manchester city and tottenham three years ago put on two of like two of the most entertaining um champions league games that we've seen in the last four to five years right especially that second leg chaos right so don't, don't we've even. seen it we've seen it from pep versus pochettino before and and i think we'll see some more chaos too so i'm ready i'm so ready well before we move on and talk about chelsea and liverpool we'll take a quick break and uh come back to you about those two games and a little bit about why arsenal are still clowns <laughs> All right, Rian, you called in your notes this weekend for Chelsea, and I quote, perfect. Liverpool dropping points, Chelsea getting a massive, massive victory against West Ham on Saturday. So how confident are you actually feeling about, I'll say, top four for Chelsea, and their game against Real Madrid tomorrow. Of course, we're recording on a Monday, so. I, I think coming off of the 1-0 win away to West Ham, and it should be noted that West Ham were without Declan Rice. Um, they were without Mikel Antonio, who's still been injured, and without Aaron Cresswell. So that's three extremely important starting players for them. Um, they did still have... Uh, future 2021 Ballon d'Or winner Jesse Lingard in the side. So I don't have that much. That's my part. joke. You can't steal that. No, no, no. As... Sorry, sorry. Player, player of the season, actually. Oh my god! Jesse they have a most improved award. Sure. But um, no, no. It was it was a good performance from Chelsea. It's another game where you feel like. They do so much well getting to the final third. The decision-making and just finishing is not uh, efficient enough, I still think, for Chelsea, which 
which you know as i think we'll talk more about the madrid game that that'll be an issue that'll be kind of like the biggest issue i think for the team but um it was a good win for them timo Werner played extremely well you know he had his goal but of course he couldn't end the game without missing a sitter from about eight yards out so yeah he, he took it in stride i think in his um post-match press conference he was like <laughs> He was like, no, no, I think, you know, when you're coming back from such a tough place, you know, it has to happen slowly. You know, I think maybe two goals would have been, he said, I think two goals would have been maybe too much. Maybe it would have been maybe too quickly. <laughs> um, so, too much pressure yeah, after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to at least um, commend his his um, his mental disposition with, with all this. Very easy to get so, so low, as we've seen with just past Chelsea strikers, honestly. So... Um, it was a good performance from from the team, and they still have tough games coming up. They still have to play Manchester City again. Um, they still have to play Leicester City at some point in this um in the second to last game of the season, which you know we still have some time before then. But that could be that could be a decider for third place. That could be both teams in danger of losing third or third and fourth place right depending on what happens with liverpool west ham and, and um to a lesser extent i think everton but yeah all in all a good win for chelsea especially um with the results the other results that happened over the weekend they opened up a three-point gap between fourth and fifth and they have some good confidence going into their game against real madrid um tomorrow we're recording this on monday night i i think I still, as a Chelsea fan, I think I still feel confident about the defensive side of the team. All that being said, we know <laughs> that Karen Benzema will be playing in this game. We know that I think Eden Hazard will at least be making a bench performance, a sub-performance. He will, yeah. Um, a sub-appearance, I should say. I, I think there's still a lot to be confident about from the defensive side of Chelsea, just, you know, in terms of solidity and and um i think their positioning has just been really really good um defensively recently it's it's just we're at this point of the season where just like the game against west ham where the performance could have been better the the performance could have been much better but all that mattered was getting the three points and getting the gold um and showing that quality enough quality to get the goals to win the game it's so much of this is going to be about Christian Pulisic, likely Kai Havertz, and, and and definitely Mason Mount, who will be playing. Um, it'll be about what those guys up front can produce in tight spaces against a Madrid team that, you know, they have had, I think, three goalless draws in the last couple of weeks, but have still shown a lot of solidity in their defense, even without Sergio Ramos, who will be missing the first leg of the semifinal, but it's about what they can do from a Chelsea side in front of goal and, and can the precision get better. And that's what's been, I think, still inconsistent, even under Thomas Tuchel, is is the decision-making and precision and, and just, I think, overall like quality in the, in the box from Chelsea. Yeah, this is where I'm very interested to see tomorrow who wins out. The defensive solidity, solidity of 
Chelsea right now. I think Rudiger and Christensen have done a wonderful job together. I, I honestly, I mean that genuinely because I usually love to just take a crap all over Chelsea's defensive structure. But I, I honestly they, they think they've done a good job. But you bring up the great point in that Chelsea have not only avoided being clinical, they can't afford to not be clinical tomorrow or or in the second leg because those are the moments when Madrid seem to strike when you yeah. think that you are in a comfortable position gaining momentum like this happened during the liverpool game in the first leg in the, the early part of the second half right after liverpool scored you're like oh wait they're back in it and of course like 10 minutes later no madrid scored another goal like that's when they thrive when their backs are up against the wall madrid seem to turn it into another gear and chelsea cannot afford to let them get into a game if they are in fact dominating possession feeling like they're suffocating them and that's going to be the biggest mental battle i think of this game the other piece of this is i am very curious to see a battle between tell me who this might be against i want to say a combination of reese james and christian pulisic against Ferland mendy i would say mm. is that fair to say i, I think that's that's yeah. pretty accurate but yes i am uh I am absolutely. Uh, I, I'm crazy. I mean, you, you, you didn't even mention Vinny, dude. You didn't even mention Vinny. No, 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 because Vinny might not play. That's the thing. Uh -huh. So it might be a combination of Benzema, Rodrigo, and Asensio. I don't know if that's because, you know, Vinny got rested over the weekend in preparation for this game or he actually is not being favored right now. Um, my guess would probably be he's being rested for this game. But yes, I do think that there's a chance Hazard plays i think he does not start i don't know if Vinicius starts but benzema's still gonna play so you guys are kind of screwed let me be very clear by the way i didn't say this at the beginning chelsea are not going to the final of the champions league and i am very willing to bet money on that rian so let's be very clear on my position that you guys are not getting past real madrid side i don't care what their last form or form the last two games in la liga have been you know goalless draws against tafe and real batiste Champions League is complete. I'm finding myself defending Real Madrid. Like, that's how painful <laughs> and that's how real I believe that they have a chance of going to the final again. So I'll, I'll leave it at that before we get into a, a back and forth for the next hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll look, there'll be 120 minutes for us to, uh, or sorry, oh, yes. 100, 180 minutes for us to, yeah, to um, argue over. So let's move over to Liverpool, um, who for the second straight week, dropped two points late last week it was against Leeds this week it was against Newcastle United uh man another game where Liverpool dominate dominate in terms of not only shots I mean because we know that the amount of shots doesn't necessarily correlate to wins right but in terms of chances in terms of shots from within the penalty spot to the goal and <laughs> and maybe only one defender or none between you and the keeper. Liverpool, again, wasted their chances. And then at the end, just kind of get done by, you know, a, a route one ball into the box. And then um, late substitution from Joe Willock, who came on and scored, I think, his third goal in four games for for newcastle but i think more importantly the third goal that has 
won them a point or two points. Um, in the end, his shots his shots deflected and and goes in, right? And it's just another game where Liverpool, where last season Liverpool, are either up two 0 or last season Liverpool scores after conceding this conceding that goal, right? Scores late and and ends up getting the win. And it's just, it feels like this is all a drain. And after like two weeks ago, where it felt like they were really back in it, and and, and not to say that they aren't, right? Um, they still have, I think, the most favorable end of the season when you compare it to you know Chelsea, Leicester, West Ham, Everton, right? But it it just feels like that Newcastle game was a microcosm of their entire season, where it's try, try, try again but just not enough quality in the finishing. That's that's the thing, right? It's it's we talk about the lack of finishing and the lack of clinic, clinical clinicality, I'll call it. But it's not like players like Mosel are not having a good season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he scored, he scored Mosel, yeah. 20 goals. Yeah. I think for the for third season in a row for Liverpool in the Premier League, like it's not like they're not scoring goals it's just they're not scoring them at the right time which is really cost them probably upwards of 10 points this season yeah and if they're putting away some of those chances that really they're expected to you're probably not even having a top four conversation you're probably having a second or third conversation so the question i think remains how do you fix this problem I don't think that you need to necessarily change a lot. I think that maybe you do some fine tuning, right? Sadio Mane has not had an amazing season by any stretch, right? I think he's had 20, you know, goal contributions all season total, I think for all competitions maybe. So not great by his own standards. Firmino, don't even want to go there. It's it, it's not pretty. I get it. So I think this team does need a bit of a rejuvenation, kind of like a Sir Alex Ferguson type squad kind of re- refresher but i don't need to i don't think they necessarily need to change the core all that much because then you have to you probably have to adapt to a new set of player profiles and that takes time to to kind of build up and liverpool are in the period where they need to go through a revamp so that's what i would say about liverpool and the one other thing that i had um a thought on i completely oh oh of course well the northwest derby is this weekend so that will be pretty telling in terms of whether they'll be able to break into into the top four and i think that you're having a different conversation in liverpool come out on top in this game which i don't know if they will but if they do i think that shifts the mentality a lot for them in the remaining i think what six five or six games of the season yeah the yeah they, they play manchester united next saturday it, look at that, if, if they're able to get three points there their last four games are Southampton, West Brom, Burnley, and Crystal Palace. Right. I think that is a must win. And I don't, and I think that's obvious to say, by the way, but like, I think <laughs> they win that. And you're right. The whole complexion changes because you look at the next four games and you're like, okay, this is easily doable for us, right? To get 12 points in the last um, four games of the season. What is still an issue for them and what and what has been i think one of the biggest issues um compared to last season is this little stat elias this season 
from the 76th minute on in the Premier League, Liverpool have 106 shots, 12 goals scored, 12 goals allowed. They're underperforming their XG by about two. Their XG is at uh, just over 14. Their expected goals allowed is just around 10. Last season, in the 76th minute on, Liverpool had only 90 shots, had 17 17 goals, six goals allowed. Their XG was just under 15, and their expected goals allowed was just around 10. So this team shooting way more in the last 15 minutes, and granted, a lot of that can be because they are either tied or they're down a goal right so so right change the that'll change that part of it right but their expected goals and expected goals allowed numbers very very similar (laughs) and the simple fact is they are not outperforming it this season and from a defensive side they are not they are severely underperforming it from that right too that part of it a team that under Jurgen Klopp until this season were almost inevitable in those last 15 minutes of games, either winning points, you know, or killing games off. Right. Right. That's just has not happened to this team this year. And whether part of that is luck or part of that is some kind of mental drainage of what the last (laughs) four years have been overall, it's, where they have looked the most vulnerable and it's where when they look back at the end of the season they might say that this is really where we lost our way and where we lost our even sometimes our identity of what we have been the last the last um four years yeah it's really telling i didn't realize how similar those stats were in the last 15 minutes of of games because we've talked about how last year in the last 15 minutes of games, how many points they picked up versus how many points they probably have dropped now in the last 15 minutes of games this season. That I think is also kind of an equally telling storyline. And ultimately it's not like I expect Liverpool to completely fall off next season and be like a Europa league or below contender now, but I do I, I I certainly expect bumps to continue. Like until until they bring in almost a completely new squad or a relatively new squad, I should say, not re- like maintaining their core. I don't think things are going to get significantly better or significantly worse. I think they've reached kind of like their Goldilocks zone in a way, right? And I'm not saying that previous years were a fluke at all. I think that was a byproduct of amazing timing, amazing coaching, amazing players, all hitting their stride at the same time. Now you've come back to the mean a little bit. Yeah. That, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Well, at least to round this out, should we touch on another team from London? Um, I'm, I'm inserting, for, for the record, a laugh track <laughs> will be inserted right here somewhere when I edit this. Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> So they they lose 1-0 to Everton on Friday, a a game that, honestly, no one deserved to win, I think, very much like Everton's. It was a brutal game. 
just for yeah <laughs> i mean it's that's been the story i think of everton's second half of the season a lot is a lot of games where it felt like no one deserved to win especially them um and at times they've found ways to win and in this circumstance the opponent found a way to give them the win where burnt leno who not for the first time this season we should be we should say has made a terrible terrible error individual error totally unforced that led to a goal and this time it was a cross i mean uh, you know it had some the cross had pace on it obviously but um a cross that he completely kind of misses and hits basically the inside of his heel and goes into the back of the net and um and richarlison kind of like looks around awkwardly like i guess i'll take that (laughs) (laughs) that was yeah he was he was very confused as to whether or not to celebrate (laughs) yeah you end up doing like a little awkward kind of half 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 dance (laughs) yeah um and so you know it's another another really disappointing loss for arsenal and you know this thursday they welcome back unai emery um ah my body's ready they they will they will not be going through to the final of the europa league by the way i'm also i'm making like very, that. <laughs> no, 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 i'm making very explicit predictions here and i know i'm correct so that's that's <laughs> i'm that's how confident i am yeah uh, it, it's it's gonna be a very tough game for them and my heart goes out to mikhail arteta because these next two weeks are just he should stay away from the internet in its oh, entirety. He, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He should really stay away from it because it, it will just be now him versus Emery. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how similar their their records are um, in the Premier in their Premier League time together. Or sorry, but he, but Premier he, League time he, as Arsenal managers. Their their records are similar, but fundamentally, their situations are also very similar. And I'm not saying I'm not saying you know Arteta is a much better coach, or I'm not saying you know Emery is a much better coach. I think they both have their qualities in, in different areas, right? We talked about how you know Emery is probably best suited for a team like Villarreal. I, I think he's perfect for that sort of team. But structurally, Arsenal Football Club are in the same situations as they were six years ago, and that's not really led to any sort of squad revamp. They haven't had a consistent manager since Arsene Wenger. It's it's sad to watch the state of that club and seeing Arsenal come up against a side like Villarreal. I can, I mean, speak from the La Liga point of view, a squad that revamped really well over the summer since they knocked out, you know, Moscow in um, um, what's it called? The quarterfinals of the Europa league have been on a very good run of form outside of their losses past week against Barcelona. That's not a shameless plug. I promise. Honestly, outside <laughs> of really, I would say maybe about two months ago when they went on a a poor run of form, Villarreal have been strong. Like we've seen them adopt an identity and that's what good coaches bring to teams, an identity in a sense that you can understand a style of play. At Arsenal, we've seen shades of that in their 4-3-3 that I think Arteta has probably brought from Manchester City. But at the same time, it's not like he has all the players to to make that system work. It's so frustrating, but he doesn't, and that's not his fault. So, I, I fully expect Villarreal to go through. Yeah, I, I 
I'm just hoping for the best for for Mikel, honestly, <laughs> because um, he's coming up against a guy who, yeah, as we said before, this 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 is his competition. This is his league cup. Dude, yeah, is, basically. basically. <laughs> as as Pep is for the League Cup, this that is Unai Emery to the Europa League, right? So I, I cannot to hear the first good evening <laughs> as, <laughs> as press conference when he's back in London. Oh, can't wait! It'll be amazing, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be such a hard test, I think, for for them. Um, yeah, we we know that that Villarreal will be ready for this game, and and. It'll be interesting, you know. There, there's some, there's some former Premier League players on this Villarreal team. You know, Alberto <laughs> Moreno, Etienne Capui, yeah. um, Juan Foyt, who this past yeah. weekend d- basically did his own rendition of Karen Trippier's <laughs> own goal. Uh, it wasn't an own goal, but you know, it was a beautiful pass back to Antoine Griezmann for Barca's second goal. It, it, I mean, yeah, it was. It was, um, it was solid center back assist. <laughs> yeah, so. It'll be a great game for storylines, but um, yeah, I, I think the Villarreal has to be the, the favorites um, in this tie overall. All of this coming amid Spotify CEO this past weekend <laughs> throwing his hat in the ring for for ownership of Arsenal Football Club. Um, basically, tweeted out that he's always been a Gunners fan, and and if if uh, the Crunkies are interested in selling that he is he is ready to to throw his hat in the ring and and we've seen even more come from that today where apparently there is a group of including Daniel Eck who's who's the Spotify CEO and chairman um, as well as Terry Henry um, I I can't remember who else the Invincibles it was yeah, like Patrick Vieira Bert, Vieira Bert yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so. Yeah, the, um, there could be some good news coming soon for these Arsenal fans, but uh, at the same time, the last thing we want to do is give Arsenal fans hope because they they already have a lot, get a lot of that going into seasons and stuff. So they don't want to don't want to create any false hope there. But obviously, that would be a win for everyone, including including a a London rival fan and myself. It would be a win to get the Cronkies out of, of Arsenal Football Club. So. <laughs> Football wins that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, Rion, that's all we wanted to cover. We've got a busy, busy week of football ahead. Of course, the Champions League semifinals coming up this week, first legs. And then we have in Spain, I think one or two games later in the week. Then we have the Northwest Derby this week. We've got a lot going on. We'll, we'll talk about Spain middle of the week, but it's it's going to be a busy one. Yeah. Shout, shout out to... Shout out to... League on, who along with with um, the La Liga title, the only other title race in Europe right now that is really down to the wire. This past weekend, Lil getting a win against Leon after going down, going down yeah, two nil, coming back yeah. winning three two. Um, I, those top three sides in France are separated by three points right now. Um, the top fours, well, we'll get into it in in Spain, so I won't spoil that, but. Just shout out to League on. We might see another American winning a, winning a trophy this this uh, season after we already got seeing three. Serginho Dest. Yeah, Zach Steffen. We didn't even mention that over, over the past weekend. He's starting keeper for for Manchester City throughout the entire League Cup run. Congrats to him. And uh, who knows? Maybe soon we will be seeing Timothy Weah lifting the uh, League on title. Ah, uh, tears in Mbappe's eyes. 
but <laughs> probably he'll probably put tears in my eyes when he joins Real Madrid at some point. Anyway, <laughs> with that, Rian, we will uh, catch you guys later in the week for the Spain version of this week's podcast. Thanks, guys.